I'm good. Okay, well, uh, hey, Centennial, I'm told that you can still see me and hear me. I can't see that you can see me, but we're going to get through this. It's going to be great. Um, as you may know, and just so you know, some slides will probably show up, and we know that they're missing, but we're figuring it out. And hey, praise the Lord for technology. As you know, we are in a sermon series right now called That'll Leave a Mark. This is our third week, and this is a sermon series all about how we intentionally form character in our lives. We're calling the sermon series That'll Leave a Mark because the Greek word character originally meant to leave a mark or to make an impression or to carve or engrave. And isn't that the way character formation is? It's kind of this slow, intentional process of carving out the shape of our lives. And here's what we know. Your life has been shaped and impacted by the relationships you're in and the circumstances you've gone, gone through. And the shape of your life is going to leave a mark on other people as well. The only question is, what kind of a mark do you want to leave on the lives of others? And that's why character formation matters, because the way our character is formed determines the way we leave a mark on the lives of others. Today is our uh, third week, like I said, and we're talking about patience. Now here's the thing talking about patience, is we have to start by contrasting patience with some of the other realities we see in the world around us. And we live in a pretty incredible world. I mean, let's just be honest. We live in a world filled with all sorts of things that make our lives easier and often faster and often maybe even better. I mean, I understand that it used to be true. I don't know if I have any personal experience with this, but I think some of you might remember this. It used to be true that if you, say, got a paycheck from work or you got money from somebody and you wanted to put it into your bank account, I've been told that what you had to do was you had to drive to a bank. And not only did you have to drive to the bank, you had to get out of your car and walk into the bank in order to deposit your check into the bank account. I mean, that sounds miserable to me. All we need to do now is pull out the phone and take a picture. You want to give money to somebody? We've got Venmo, we've got Zelle, we've got so many quick options. And then there's food. I mean, it used to be, apparently, that if you wanted to go out to eat, you had to go into the restaurant. You had to sit down. You had to wait for them to cook your food. And then we came up with this amazing idea. We called it fast food. Because, see, if food is good then we assume fast food is better. But apparently fast food wasn't good enough, so we added the drive through So I don't even have to get out of my car to get it. And then, just recently in our lives, we decided even the drive through isn't fast enough. We took fast food and we made it faster by adding the order ahead on the mobile app option so you could be guaranteed the instant you get to the restaurant. Your food is hot and ready and waiting. We live in a world where we think that there is an instant or at least a faster version of literally everything we could possibly want. But here's the problem. It may be, it just may be that there are some things that don't come with an instant option. 
And so here's the title I want to give to our sermon this morning. We're going to talk about patience in a world of instant gratification. Or maybe it could simply be said patient, patience in an instant world. Because I've got some bad news for you. Character formation doesn't come with an instant option that we can simply pick up off the shelves of our favorite store. Like we've done every week, we've got three questions. We're going to ask, what is patience? Why does patience matter? And how do I form patience? So we're going to start with that first question. What is patience? And we're going to start with just a simple dictionary definition. I think this came from Webster, your friend and mine, Webster Online. Patience. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay trouble, or suffering. And I tell you what, if the definition stopped right there, I might be a little more comfortable with it. Because I can tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering. But the definition had to add that end little clause. We have to tolerate it without, (laughs) without getting angry or upset. And I hate to confess that I don't have to look that far back in my life to identify a moment when I had some delay or trouble and suffering and it caused me to get upset. So, uh, like we've said every week though, we start with a dictionary definition and we identify this idea that we kind of know something about. But when we open God's word, we almost always find that there's some deeper, a little more, uh, you know, deep-rooted meanings that might help us learn how we can be people who form patience in our lives. So we're going to look at three different scriptures today. One from the book of Proverbs, uh, Old Testament wisdom literature. One from a letter Paul wrote uh, to the Colossian church. And one from the letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. We're going to start with Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18. If you want, you can turn there and read it in your Bible. But your Bible probably has a slightly different version because what I'm going to read comes from the Good News Translation. So here is Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18. Hot tempers cause arguments, but patience brings peace. Now, As I was reading and studying this passage, uh, I I came to find out, and you should really go and just read all of Proverbs 15, because the whole thing is really fantastic. But this verse shows up right in the middle of two bigger sections in Proverbs 15. And it's almost like this verse acts as a sort of hinge, almost a doorway connecting what comes before it and what comes after it. And in fact, the meaning, the significance of this verse is informed by what comes before it and what comes after it. So I'd like to tell you just a bit about the context around this verse in Proverbs 15. First, what comes before it is a passage of scriptures that talks all about our hearts. And it talks about a couple ways that our hearts can either be full or empty. Our hearts can be full of that which is good, like life and love, Or it can be full of that which is bad, like uh, uh, deceit or anger. Our heart can be empty of that which is bad, or it can be empty of that which is good. But 
basically, the author of Proverbs talks for a while about the importance of the contents that fills our heart. And one of the authors who I was reading that was talking about this chapter in Proverbs made this observation, to sort of stating why it's so important to understand what fills our hearts. Here's what the author said. That which is deep within us often leaks out of us. I mean, don't you know that to be true? Don't you know that whatever it is that is deep inside of your heart is inevitably going to come out in some way or some shape or some form in your life? And so I think the fact that the author of Proverbs talks about the contents of our heart right before this powerful verse on patience is because the author wants us to realize that patience and impatience are evidence of what is inside of you. The patience or the impatience that we express in our actions, in our words, in our decisions in life are evidence of what is already present inside of our hearts. Well, then right after verse 18, the author goes on and starts to talk about two different characters. They're sort of caricatures, in a sense, of what you and I might experience in our own lives at any point. The two characters that he talks about are the sluggard and the wise. I really like that word, sluggard. If you've been looking for a new insult to try out in your life, maybe try out sluggard. You sluggard. I I probably shouldn't be inviting you to find new insults in your life, but I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe that's what you're looking for, and I'm happy to help. But here's the interesting thing that I noticed when I was reading the Proverbs about the sluggard and the wise person. See, the sluggard is characterized as lazy, as putting action aside, as ignoring his responsibility. However, the wise person is characterized often as patience. And I think that's striking because I think you and I, in the instant world we live in, are tempted sometimes to think of patience almost as a form of laziness. As though patience is simply an excuse not to do something. As though patience is simply detaching ourselves from the work we have to do. But the way that the author of Proverbs says this makes it abundantly clear that patience is different from laziness. One author I read, her name is Elsa Tamez. She is a uh, Mexican theologian and biblical scholar. She currently teaches at a university in uh, Costa Rica. But she actually explores a lot about the idea of patience as it's taught in the scripture. And she looks specifically at the way the word is used in the New Testament book, James. James, as you might know, is the brother of Jesus. And Temez points out that there's two Greek words that are often translated as patience. We're going to talk about them a little more later in the sermon. But both of those words have actually often been used in Greek in a military context. So far be it from them being some sort of passive or lazy or, you know, uh, rejection of our accountability, Tamez actually refers to biblical patience as militant patience. The kind of patience that is 
intentional and powerful in the way it works. Think for a second about that verse, Proverbs 15, 18. A hot temper can flare up conflict, but patience brings peace. I mean, I bet you could think of a time when two people were having a conversation with one another, and one of those people got a little bit of a hot temper. I'm sure it wasn't you that got a hot temper, but one of the people got a hot temper, and that temper caused conflict. Or I bet conversely, you could think of a time that two people were having a conversation and one of those people, maybe it was you, was able to speak and act patiently and that patience brought about peace. The way the temperature rises and our heart rate elevates in these tense circumstances makes it clear that patience is something we need, not passively or lazily, but aggressively, even with militants. Which brings us to um, some of the things that the Apostle Paul said about patience as he was writing to the Colossian Jesus followers in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 17. You can turn there now in your Bible if you want, but Paul is just in the opening part of his letter, and he's greeting the Colossian church, and then he tells that church some of the things he prays for them. And the way he prays for their patience and the things he connects with his prayer for patience is really indicative as we come to understand what it means to be people who desire our character to be formed into patience. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Here's what really stands out to me. Paul first prays that the Colossian Christians might have knowledge, wisdom, understanding. But then he says, if God gives you that knowledge, wisdom, understanding, what will happen is from there, you will find you have a strength that results in patience. Another way you could say it is Paul is making the claim that patience is powerful. That's exactly what Tamez talked about when she said this phrase, militant Patience, and that's exactly what comes out when we see these two words here translated as endurance and patience, but both actually translated as patience in different times in the New Testament. Those two words in Greek are hupomone and makrothumia. I want to talk for just a moment about each one of them with the hope that we might get a little deeper and richer. We might let the roots go further down into our hearts as we understand what God means by wanting us to form, giving us the strength to have 
patience. First of all, hupomone, which often means to endure or stand firm or put up with. In its military context, it means to preserve, to resist, to be constant, immovable, and unshakable. You can imagine that if you're in a war or a battle, being immovable and unshakable is critically and powerfully important. Etymologically, the word actually just means literally to remain underneath. It calls up the image of the figure from Greek mythology, Atlas, who holds the world on his shoulders. Atlas is hupomone. He remains under the weight of the world. And he simply has to stand firm. Being patient is the ability to stand firm even in the midst of burdens and difficulties. It's the ability to know we need to stand firm even when our instant world causes us to rush into action. That actually um, leads nicely into the second word, which is macrothumia. It is often translated as patience or long-suffering. And long-suffering is really appropriate because macro just means great or long. And thumia means suffering or passion or possibly even anger. So long-suffering is the ability to wait and endure and draw out our passions and responses. In battle, in military terms, it's sometimes referred to as an anticipatory patience. It's the ability to wait for the right moment to act. Because we all know that rushing too quickly into a skirmish can be the fatal flaw. One author even called it divinely regulated passions. Macrothumia is what we get when we know that God is at work in us and through us, and when we don't just rush to whatever we want to do, but we have the wisdom to wait and act in accordance with the way that God tells us to act, because we see and we trust that he is with us. Macrothumia is actually a characteristic that some Hebrew words refer to in the Old Testament when they talk about God himself. One of many places that we see this is in the book of Exodus, where we get this beautiful description of God from the author of Exodus. Here's what it says. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is described here as slow to anger. He's able to stand there under his anger and wait for the right moment. I mean, isn't that true of the way that God has often worked in your life, in my life? Even when we've screwed up, messed up, made a mess of the world around us, God is still there, not quickly bringing anger upon us, but reaching out his forgiveness and his grace to us. And God is also abounding in steadfast love or in love and faithfulness. It's a love that endures. It's a love that even when the brokenness of the world piles upon it, God's love can stand 
and hold up the brokenness of our sin no matter how heavy it gets. That's the kind of patience that God wants to form inside of you and inside of me. But if we take seriously the author of Proverbs and how the way patience is formed is by considering what we put inside of us, then we have to take pretty seriously, if we want to form character in our lives, we have to take pretty seriously the question, what are you putting inside of you? I mean, just in the physical world, we know that the food we eat, the food diet that we consume, shows up in all sorts of ways in our physical lives. The high school athlete who chooses to make their life completely consist, all of their diet completely consist of of venti frappuccino and Sour Patch Kids and taquito chips, is going to find themselves running slower, feeling weaker, sleeping more poorly, and less effective on the athletic field. Just like our food diet impacts our physical body, so also our soul diet impacts our spiritual body. Our soul diet is made up of a number of things. It's made up visually of what we let come into our eyes. It's made up in the thoughts and ideas we allow to come into our mind or we intentionally fill with our mind. It's made up of the attitudes we let our hearts be shaped by. And it's made up of the relationships that we let form our lives. If we want to be the kind of people formed into a character of patience, patience that is powerful, we have to ask ourselves, what are you putting inside of you? And if we're asking ourselves generally, what are we putting inside of me? Then we have to also ask specifically, how much of God are you putting inside of you? Now, I know, I know, God's always present. He's always with us. But let's be honest. We also know that when we're attentive to God, when we pay attention to God, when we focus our hearts and minds on God, His presence is more powerfully experienced. We become more present to His presence. We know that when we create space for silence and reflection in activities like the prayer of examine, when we fill ourselves with friendships characterized by faith, God becomes more fully and powerfully at work inside of us. We open ourselves to the God who is with us and at work inside of us. And we have to consider, just like we have to consider our physical diet to get physical health, we have to consider our spiritual diet because we know that whatever you put inside you leaks out in the way you see and respond to the world around you. I could think of a million examples, but the one that came to my mind was a teacher and a mentor of mine. His name was Ken Kalish, and he's the one who first taught me how to lead and teach a model called experiential education. It's just this idea that if God is really present and at work in all of the moments of our lives, sometimes simply stepping into an experience and then reflecting on it is the most powerful way we learn. And Ken through my many months of friendship with him and through the many conversations I had with him, would use this phrase all the time. The phrase was, go experiential. 
If you find yourself stuck on a problem, not sure what to do next, Ken would kind of put his hands in his pocket, smile a little bit, and say, sounds like you've got to go experiential. And that phrase that I heard Ken speaking is a phrase that I think that I interpret the world with, and that I'll even say myself at many times in my life. Ken is somebody whose influence got into my heart, and his influence leaks out in my words, in my thoughts, in my attitudes, and in my actions, even decades later today. So, patience. It's powerful. It's militant. It's the ability to remain and endure just like God does, even under a heavy burden. It's the ability to wait and choose the right moment to act, not simply rushing hot-headedly into whatever's in front of us. And all of that is characterized by an understanding that the lives we live, we're not living on our own. We're living with the God who is present and with us in all things. And the more of that vision of God that we get inside of us is going to mean the more of God that shapes how we see and respond the world around us. So I'll offer this as maybe another way to think about what is patience. Patience is a powerful commitment to see the world through God's eyes and to respond accordingly, trusting in God's power to act. I hope that you and I can find this vision of patience all the more formative in our lives. But that brings us to the second question. Why does patience matter? And I think there's a lot of ways that we could identify that patience matter, but I've come up with a few that I hope might help us all the more try to commit to and lean into this character-forming work. Patience matters because God is patience. We believe that God formed humans in his image. God designed us so that the way we live reflects the way that God is. And so if God is patient, God wants us to be patient. The most joy and fulfillment and depth and significance in life comes when we live the way God created us to live. God is patient, so our patience matters in our lives. Second, because impatience can be unhealthy for me and hurtful to others. Like we've already acknowledged, you don't have to think that far back to remember a time when some words just leapt out of your mouth. I mean, you were in the moment, your heart rate was elevating, your blood pressure, the red was rising up into your ears, and you just said what was on your mind. And the moment it came out of your mouth, you were like, don't let me take that. But you can't take back the words that have already come out of your mouth. And often being impatient and hot-tempered, it's unhealthy for you. And it's hurtful to others, especially sometimes most hurtful to those, even the ones that we love the most. Next, why does patience matter? Because patience works. Like we've already said, patience isn't laziness. It's not negligence. Patience is powerful. Again, the author of the Proverbs said this exact same thing when he wrote, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. 
The author is basically trying to say, when we act patiently, we are acting powerfully. That's one of the first things we need to do is we need to shift in our heads and shift in our hearts so that we think of patience as something so powerful it could, metaphorically, it could even break a bone. Here's one of the last reasons I want to say that patience matters. Because patience is a companion with peace. And here's what I know about your life and my life and the reality of so many lives in the world we live in. We live in a world where we don't see peace, but instead we see rising and rising and rising levels of stress and anxiety and all the different challenges and uh, complexities and wounds that can come with high levels of anxiety in our life. Anxiety and patience are on two opposite ends of the spectrum we live in. And here's just what I know. I want less anxiety in my life. One scripture I often turn to that doesn't quite explicitly make the connection between anxiety and patient, but I think implicitly it's right in there. And in the context of all that Paul teaches, I think it's true. Here's what Paul says as he writes uh, to the church in the ancient city of Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't, in this specific passage, use the word patience, but I just know if I take the burdens, if I take the anxieties, if I take all the worries on my heart and I cast them upon God, I lay them before God, then what I'm doing is I am waiting patiently for God to be at work. And what Paul says is something kind of incredible. It's this phrase that that sort of takes my breath away every time I hear it. When we patiently wait and trust in God's work, God can give us a peace that transcends, that surpasses, that goes beyond our understanding. And I know that you and I and everybody in our lives would love a little less of the anxiety that we feel and a little more peace that surpasses understanding. And the same idea, this idea that patience is a companion with peace, to just kind of say it one more time, it's got a flip side. And the flip side is that impatience has a cost. We often think in the instant world that we live in, there should be an instant form of everything. Yeah, I want patience, but I'll take the instant form of patience. I'm going to have my instant coffee and my instant breakfast, and I'll take with it a little dash of instant patience. Can I get that a little faster, please, too? But this instant world makes us think that instant is always better, but the impatience our instant world can breed into us actually has a cost. And the cost is, as you already know, impatience 
is a companion with anxiety, frustration, and hurt relationships. When we let ourselves be too consumed by impatience, all we're doing is hurting ourselves and often hurting others as well. If this has spoken to you in any way, if you find yourself stirring a little bit, saying, you know what, you're right, Carl, I want a little more patience in my life, well, then that means we come to what is often the hardest part of every sermon. See, a great sermon is not determined by the quality or the clarity so much of what I or any preacher says. Rather, a great sermon, I think, is determined by the quality of engagement and responsiveness of everybody who is listening. My ability to apply what I'm talking about and your ability to apply what we're talking about is the most critical thing in making this a great sermon, which is why we always end with your move. What are you and what am I going to do because of what God is inviting us to do? Which means we got to ask that question. How do I form patience? The first way we're going to form patience is probably, just like we, did, we mentioned last week, probably one of the most obvious things. And by making it obvious, I don't in any way want to insult your intelligence, but rather I just know that often any great work any really successful human in any realm of life has to constantly remember to go back to the basics. And here's one of the basics. If you want to form patience in your life, you need to ask God for patience. God is a patient God. And we need to regularly, daily, set aside a time where we are asking God to form us into people who are more patient people. There's a story, if we're going to be praying to ask God for patience, then we hope that shows up in other ways. There's a story that um, has been shared many times by a pastor, author named John Ortberg. And Ortberg called one day a friend and mentor of his, sort of a spiritual mentor of his. And Ortberg's life was really full, and his ministry was successful, and ministry at his church was going really well. So he called this mentor, and he said, hey, you know, friend, I just really want to make sure I stay rooted in God. I I really want to make sure that I um, don't lose my connection to the God who is forming this good life in me. So I just love, you know, give me some advice. Speak some advice into my life. And this mentor of Ortberg's responded to him and said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. As Ortberg tells the story, he said he had his journal open or his notebook and he said, I wrote that down and I said, oh man, yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. That's really good. What else do you got? (laughs) And his mentor simply said, there is nothing else. I mean, it's a little humorous when you think about it. We, we might ask God, we might pray to God, we might make time daily. You know, maybe we're going to say, the first thing I do every morning is I'm going to say, God, form me in patience. But then we hurry through every minute of our life, figuring that God will just form the patience in us in the midst of our endlessly rushed days. So, If we're going to try to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives, a few simple but maybe profound practices. Maybe we do that by allowing for margin. 
Before we say yes to that next appointment, that next lunch, that next project, maybe we stop and look at our calendar, and I really need to do this. We stop and look at our calendar and say, am I allowing the margin I need to move at a more unhurried pace through my life? There's some other practices that I've personally tried at different times in life that quite frankly are really infuriating, infuriating, but they can be powerful. Things like Choose the longer line. I mean, I've done this before. I'm I'm in the grocery store and I've got the grocery cart and there's a big long line in front of me and I look over and I see a clerk walking from the back of the store about to open a new line with nobody in it and my heart gets excited and I hear, racers, start your engine and I'm ready to elbow people out of the way to get to the front of the short line. What if instead I stopped? And I said, you know what? I can wait the extra 95 seconds it takes to stay in the longer line. And sure, maybe I'm going to wait seething with fury on the inside. But in the midst of that disciplined sort of consecration of a holy everyday moment, in the midst of it, I might just say, God, this is where I'd like you to form my patience. Maybe you could... Take the slower route, whether you're walking or driving in your midst of your days, or maybe you could simply walk a little more leisurely. Any small way that we can choose to resist hurry and embrace patience is a way to give God space to answer our prayer, God, will you form patience in my heart? And of course, to come back to what we've already talked about this morning, there's the prayer of examine which I like to do at the very end of my day, right when I lay my head down on bed, uh, you know, on my pillow in my bed at night. But you can do it when you wake up in the morning. You can do it at any point of any day. It's amazing, like Kaylee uh, Kaylee already said earlier, it's amazing how even at the end of the day before I've gone to bed, I've sometimes forgotten what I've done that very day. And simply pausing to remember, to take note of, to reflect on, What we've done that day can make us more attentive to what God wants to do in the midst of our days. So you might practice the prayer of examine. Look at your morning, look at your afternoon, look at your evening, and ask questions like, when was I impatient? Giving that moment to God and saying, God, help me form patience. Ask questions like, when was I patient? Recognizing that when we acknowledge the presence of godly patience in our lives, it makes it easier to grow that even further. Or asking, when did I experience peace? Like I said in the first sermon, and I'm going to say every time, I would love for this to be a season of character formation in all of our lives. And maybe, just maybe, this character trait, peace, or sorry, uh, Patience is one that you really feel like you need to intentionally grow in. So if so, here's what I challenge you to do. Would you commit to taking the next season? And no, taking just the next week to form patience might not be long enough. Would you commit to taking the next season of your life? Praying daily, God, would you form patience in me? Seeking to eliminate hurry so that our God who is abounding in patience, enduring in steadfast love, might change your heart so that patience is what naturally 
leaks out. We're going to go now into a time of communion. Uh, If you haven't yet grabbed some bread or juice, I'd invite you to quick pause the video. Go and do that right now because we know that the patience God wants to work in us is a patience that he himself has already given to us. Would you pray with me now as we get ready to celebrate communion together? God, we thank you for the knowledge that forming character is not a work we do on our own, but it's a work, God, we do with you. And as we take this bread and this cup, would you, God, fill us with the character you are forming in us? Pray this in your name. Amen.